Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sunday Mint, and I'll be your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bilal Hankins. The season theme is Parsing the Particulars. Today, we are joined by special guest Tyler Young from Felt, and we'll be diving into the particulars of geomapping. Hey, Tyler. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Love the podcast. You're so excited to be here that you're wearing a Smart Logic shirt. Don't think that we weren't going to call that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I put it on this morning and I was like, oh, this is like going to be embarrassing. Then I was like, nah, we're going for it. <laughs> I got a whole in. new wardrobe at ElixirConf. Yes, amazing. Bilal, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty splendid. I just got back in uh, New Orleans these past couple of days and I'm reciting them. So yeah, it's been yes. nice. Splendid is a good word, but you had another word the other day for how you were feeling, and oh, yeah. it was pretty particular. I was feeling very chartreuse, you know, in the, <laughs> in the, in the afternoon, I think that was yesterday. It yes. Was pretty chartreuse. Yes. Yes, it was. And then I started looking up chartreuse sweaters, and now <laughs> that will dominate my ad space for the next two days. <laughs> Gotta love the internet. So, Tyler, we are talking about geomapping today. So you're from Felt. You want to give us a, a rundown on what Felt is and, and your role in it? Sure. Yeah. So Felt is, we make a web app that lets people make maps. And so this is useful for people doing, um, maybe you're planning a vacation or a backpacking trip, or maybe you're a real estate developer planning what properties to buy. Like the use cases are kind of endless. We use Elixir and React and it's an awesome space and a fun product to work on. Cool. And how did you find yourself in the map industry or did you kind of interview for a job for Elixir? Oh, it was definitely for Elixir. Okay. Okay. Cool. So uh, when, when I left, I, I worked at a place for about 10 years called X-Plane. They make a, a flight simulator. So you're, you know, flying your virtual airplane and that sort of thing. And toward the end of my time there, I worked on this massive multiplayer game server and got to choose the tech to write it in, which is like rare and was a lot of fun and elixir is what i landed on and i kind of fell in love with it and i have not wanted to do anything else ever since cool so mapping was not necessarily the the draw but the elixir was yeah exactly and i had done a little bit of stuff with mapping and i knew that i was you know interested in it um at x-plane we used gis stuff for doing the scenery so uh -huh. we would take in a bunch of like open street map data and turn it into you know tiles and stuff for loading in the 3d world yes yeah we should definitely put a pin in that because i want to come back to that when i was driving near the airport in dc my gps suddenly got cute like the trees <laughs> had fuller leaves on it it like zoomed in like we were in a drone like showing me the paths to take but it only did that there around the airport like otherwise it was just like a pretty normal gps and i was like That's okay wild. you love reagan fine <laughs> <laughs> Bilal, you really were interested in joining this conversation from a mapping standpoint you want to tell us what you're interested in learning well, just looking at the product uh, felt itself, I actually, since I did just take a road trip and I knew this was coming up, I did uh, kind of sort of play around in felt. And I really liked just the ability to like, seem very cross collaborative. I could invite more people to collaborate on a map, but I really appreciate like just drawing on a map. Like I, that was my main thing. <laughs> it's revolutionary compared to like Apple Maps. 
when I was interviewing, that was the thing that sold me. So when I when I was hired, they only had like the basics of the drawing feature built out. But the CTO did a five minute demo of drawing, and I was like, "Where has this been all my life? Like, <laughs> right? this is the only way I want to plan vacations and stuff from now on." That's awesome. Is that what you used, Tyler? I know I saw on Twitter that you had mapped out Bruce Tate from Graxios doing the Great Loop, where he's sailing from Chattanooga down the Florida coast, up the East Coast through Canada. Then through the Great Lakes and then back down to Chattanooga. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you used to, to draw that out? Yeah. So I had started, I kind of traced the route with like the marker tool based on the drawing that they had on their website. And then I, I pulled in their Google Maps will give you an export of the points that they had labeled as like, this is where we stopped. And so I, I pulled that from their Google My Maps and, and stuck it in the felt map. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, that's when I had this moment where I was like, I need to meet Tyler. I think he's going to ElixirConf. I'm a big map nerd. And then mm -hmm. I just love maps. This is such an interesting conversation to have because I just will like looking at maps. I just like looking at them. Sure. Um, when I read any fantasy book, I'm constantly referring to the map at the beginning. They usually have a drawing. We talked about this on the podcast last season, but last season I was reading Wheel of Time. I got through that series really quickly, but it would have been maybe even faster if I had a better map because the series is like 20 years old or something. And so the original map that's drawn is just like kind of hard to read. They show you rivers and towns and portals and just like a bunch of stuff. And I always was like Googling it and then accidentally spoiling things for myself because I was trying to figure out where they were in relation to other people. And so I have since spent a lot of money on a laser cut woodcut map. That's I've awesome. finished reading, but uh, I love this map. It's something that I've always wanted. So I was really excited to talk to you just from like a I love maps perspective. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. All right, cool. Let's just jump right in. So GIS, we kind of threw around that phrase a little bit just now. What does it stand for? Is there any kind of protocol for it? Can you give us like a quick TLDR on it? And we don't have to go too deep into it. I'm just curious how you use it. Sure. So right up front, let me say that I am not the expert here. Everything I know about GIS, I kind of learned on the job and I learned just enough to get the job done. I, I read the PostGIS in action, which is like PostGIS is the plugin for Postgres. And I, I read that book and it got me far enough. And that's as much a, like formal education as, as I've had. So anyway, so GIS, Geographic Information Systems, this is like the whole sphere of human inquiry as far as like you know, using computers to represent geographic stuff. And so for computer nerds like us, stuff like the database representation of, you know, a polygon or a line or, you know, maybe higher level human concepts like this is a route that a person should follow versus these are the points that we actually measured their GPS coordinates and that sort of thing. So that's that's like what we're talking about. I tried to just quickly Google like a history of GIS mm -hmm. timeline, and it looks like the earliest history kind of comes up in the 1960s. And then we start, you know, going through like Harvard picks up a lab in the in 63. And then it goes kind of a commercial in 81. So it's like more recent history. But I feel like maps have always sort of been around if you think of evolution of MapQuest to Google Maps. Although I heard MapQuest is still an app. It's like an app. Is it really? Use. Yes. It's like not what it was. So it's, yeah, it's just an interesting kind of concept. For those of us who don't know what MapQuest was to some of us back in the day, no one in particular, um, <laughs> you used to have to say where you were going to put into the computer, like into the website, 
where you started, where you're going, and you would print out the directions to get to that place. Forget traffic, forget roadblocks, forget road changes. <laughs> God forbid you take a wrong turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely remember back in like middle school or something, my mom and I got lost and we were going to the post office and we followed the mailman there. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kids today, they'll never know that joy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about what GIS is. I actually knew what GIS was um, from college. My history was I was a computer science major, didn't quite cut it in the math department, and then had to switch to another major. But I had an internship where they said, you can do whatever, just be any major, and then you're likely to be able to continue coding if you want to keep doing this. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went the art route. I considered GIS for a minute, because it was the only other like information sciences type thing at my school. So I know you can study it. Can you speak to what somebody who studied GIS in school might actually do in your field? Or maybe do you have anyone who works with you who already studied GIS? Yeah, totally. So I kind of think of GIS as being a data science engineer with a particular focus on spatial stuff. Maybe somebody with a GIS degree would correct me, but that's how I think of it. We have like a whole data team that is focused on taking a big, you know, import of data, maybe from OpenStreetMap, maybe from some other source and kind of transforming it into something useful. So they work primarily in Python. They have this big AWS infrastructure to, to do all this data processing in parallel. And it's kind of a black box for me. They, they spit out some tiles that we can render on the map or, you know, data sets that we can query. And that's as much as I see from my side. You know, we've talked about a few kind of use cases for, you know, building out maps, but you wrote one that I'm really interested in, like the current events, mapping out wartime kind of things, Mm -hmm. specifically you mentioned Ukraine and then planning forest fire responses. Have you seen those kind of use cases for mapping? Um, we have, and, and we've seen it in felt. So, so some of our earliest beta testers were a fire department. I want to say it's, it's somewhere in California. I, I, I'm going to get the city wrong if I say it, but they basically took, we have these data sets that show like historical locations of wildfires. And so they can kind of look at that and say like, this is where the wildfires were in, you know, 2021. And so, you know, here's where we need to focus our efforts for this coming season. Um, and so they can draw on it and they can, you know, share it around and that sort of thing. It's kind of a similar story for, you know, mapping current events and stuff. It, anytime you see a New York Times map of like, this is what's going on in, in the Ukraine war and here's the the front or here's the city that's being attacked and that sort of thing. We, we want to support doing that sort of thing in felt. And so there are a couple small news organizations using it now, but we're, we're trying to target some of the, some of the big names. Wow. I hadn't thought of like a uh, forest fires, but like now that you like outlined it like that, yeah, like I can really see how that's like a real good use case of this. Right. Yeah. And, and compared to, you know, uh, maybe having pins on a, on a wall somewhere, yeah. like it's a lot, it's a lot easier. Like you can interact with that map from your phone when you're on the site and that sort of thing. So does Elixir do anything in particular that really lends towards map making? Are there any specific Elixir features that you use a lot? There's so many features of Elixir, I can't even like name drop any, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think Ecto is like a superpower. It's it's so flexible for doing even really low level stuff. You know, we we want to use a bunch of post GIS queries to 
say, get a bounding box for a bunch of stuff on your map, right? And and being able to drop down and use that low-level stuff is really nice. Bounding box is actually a really interesting, like, since we're deep diving, can you explain a bounding box? Because I have worked with one before, but I, it was like two years ago and I forgot. <laughs> sure, sure. Sorry, I sometimes I'm like so embedded in it, I forget that like this is not yeah, something no, no, other people we're, are we're dealing do- with every day. Yeah, yeah, we're deep so, diving, we're going yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So a bounding box. If you if you imagine you have uh, a dozen polygons that are placed, you know, somewhere across the U.S., let's say a bounding box would be a square with the west aligned with the westmost edge of the westmost coordinate, and you know its its east side is you know the eastmost coordinate of all of, of your elements. Um, and, and so on. So it's like, it's, it's a northeast, southwest aligned box that fits all of your stuff. This is useful in our case because the first time that you load the map, we want to show, we want to show it zoomed out to a place where you can see everything. Yeah. A technical consideration I remember working with boundary boxes or bounding boxes was if you were to consider like what is a natural zoomed out state? Like if you had no address, did you just focus on the U.S. or or if you do have an address, like how far can you zoom out before that data disappears? Are these kind of considerations that you run into? Sure. Yeah. So the initial state of a new map, we try to geolocate your IP and we pick a zoom level that we hope will capture the city, whatever city you're in. Yeah. Um, So for me, I think it actually focuses 40 miles north of me or something. It's kind of funny. So you said Ecto was a superpower. What else from Elixir? Well, the library support is good. And I'll put a little asterisk there because there are libraries for dealing with GeoJSON, which is a a very common interchange format. There are more obscure ones like GPX. GPX is basically the interchange format for GPS data. Similarly, there's uh, support for like KMLs. Uh, KML is Google's file format that they use for, I think, like all kinds of, of geodata. The reason I put a little asterisk there is because ultimately it felt we wanted to support everything. Like if you could name a geodata file, we wanted to be able to support it. And so kind of bundling together these disparate libraries wasn't cutting it for us. And so we end up, we shell out to a, a program called Jadal, G-D-A-L. And Jadal supports hundreds or thousands of, of file formats and kind of can transform it all into to GeoJSON for us. So I was a little sad to to lose the, you know, built-in Elixir support, but it's pretty comprehensive. The other thing I will say is is the the library support for like post-processing geodata is is really good. So like, you know, you can represent a, a latitude and longitude as um, a tuple of two floats and do all kinds of manipulation on that. We had an interesting problem a while back where per the GeoJSON spec a polygon is supposed to be wound in a counterclockwise direction. Basically, like if you look at the the list of points, they should go counterclockwise, you know, from the start. And we had some data in the database that was not wound the correct direction. And that turned into a, a geometry problem. Basically, you like try to find the area of the shape. And if it winds up being positive, it's counterclockwise. And if it's negative, it's not counterclockwise wound and we need to reverse it. You know, Elixir is like, People give it so much trouble for, you know, it's it's not good for number crunching and stuff. And, you know, for our case, you know, if you've got 10,000 elements on a map, it's plenty fast enough to do that analysis. It seems like something that's like Elixir would be built for. Sure. I mean, yeah, when you talk about if you've got, you know, hundreds or thousands of requests coming in a second, like it doesn't really matter if it takes 10 milliseconds to do that analysis or not. The fact that you can serve all of those at the same time is is what's important. So... 
not to talk about competitors, or I don't even know if you call these competitors, but there are other map map companies out there who use other technologies. I guess the first question is, do you ever have to interface with the other map companies? But secondary to that, what is like the common language for mapping, if that's a thing? I mean, JavaScript has like taken over the world, right? So I know there's a lot of, you know, mapping applications that use Node on the back end and that sort of thing. I mean, I think the most common thing to do is if you just need a website with one map that shows your location or something, what people do is they they embed the Google Maps API and don't, you know, they don't have a back end at all. For us, having Elixir on the back end, it, it just it gives us such speed of development and, and the performance is great, the scalability is great. The story for you know using that as a wrapper around Postgres and, and PostGIS is phenomenal. So how does like felt fit in to this like ecosystem of like all the other maps that I guess um, people are more commonly uh, familiar with? Yeah, so I, I I think what you're getting at is like, do we have an API that like people can use? And the answer is unfortunately no. Am I am I getting that right? <laughs> uh, just yeah, yeah. I, I suppose just how you guys see yourself just uh, amongst these other map companies as well. Sure, sure. So one of the things we talk about is the shadow of Esri. So Esri, E-S-R-I, is the, it's like the professional GIS tool. And it has a learning curve, unlike anything I've ever seen. Like if you've tried to pick up Blender or Photoshop or something, it's like that. And it's super powerful. And if you, if you studied, you know, GIS for four years in college, I'm sure that you're totally comfortable with that. But what we've seen is that, you know, companies who are using geospatial data in the real world they you know they have one cartographer on staff if you're like a small city government or something everybody is inundating that one person with requests like i need a map for you know the bus line i need a map for the subway i need a map for this development and um, and that person just has limited time and so the stuff you see is you know maybe somebody's using powerpoint to like they take a screenshot of a map and they draw on the map and they're like here, we'll use this in the brochure or whatever, or stick it on the website, right? We're trying to unlock use cases for those people who, you know, maybe they don't have a GIS degree, or maybe they do, and they just want something that's fast. That's who we're aiming for. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And this is definitely useful for me on my road trip, I'll tell you that. Sure, sure. Um, all going cross country for just like kind of any reason, but also <laughs> to, I mean, didn't you go for your sewing machines? I, yeah, I, I drove from Vegas to Amarillo, Texas for two industrial sewing machines. My baby. Yes. Wow. So do you sew? What do you, what do you yeah. sew? Yeah, Bilal. This is Bilal's first episode as a co-host, everyone. We got to introduce Bilal. Yeah. So, um, like before transitioning into like software engineering, I have my own clothing brand and I also helped out with like manufacturing and design for a lot of uh, local brands in New Orleans as well. And it was pretty cool. Like I was in high school and I got the chance to go to what Paris Fashion Week, Milan Fashion Week, and like a bunch of trade shows in Europe, which is very eye opening. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> We've got some cool people here at Smart Logic. I'm just, some cool people. just putting it out there. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, so like Bilal's concept of, yeah, I'm just going to skip over to Texas to get my <laughs> sewing machines. And I'm sitting here like hyperventilating over having to go like 15 minutes down the road because I've never gone that direction before. That's <laughs> why so I was excited to be on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Too cool. Uh, 
I think the other experience I have with, so in, I, I was originally in DC, like my, most of my career life was while I was in living in DC and the big map company there is Mapbox. And I think, yeah, I think it was Node. I never actually worked there. A bunch of my friends did. And I remember their lobby because they, they used to host a lot of meetups and, and different kind of get togethers and stuff. Their lobby has this like dot map. It's like a um, scat. It looks like a scatter plot. Like you'd see in a math class. But then when you like step back, I almost said zoom out, but when you step back from it, you can tell it's DC. It must be points for some reason. I don't know what the points were, but I, you know, as an art major and a nerd and a map nerd and somebody just waiting for the meetup to start was just staring at that. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Wow. And I know some people I know had used Leaflet for um, kind of some like, I think it was a more accessible tier to use it wasn't like as expensive or something it's it's always interesting when you talk about like integrating with these map companies that that tend to have the like the expensive kind of tiers and whatnot do you think the speaking of api that um you're looking towards building something that people can use yeah so right now the story for using a felt map on another site is like you create it in felt and then you can embed it you know stick an iframe wherever you want I don't know that we will ever be like a developer focused company in the way that like Mapbox is. Like Mapbox makes all their money from from developers programmatically creating maps. Um, but we do want to support more of those use cases. And so we have a number of people in our like uh, felt slack that that we're getting ideas from like what what is it that you want to build with with an API? But yeah, it's still a work in progress. So I guess the ultimate dream is, you know, like you said, right now, the developers reach for a Google Map API kind of quick integration to do anything that has a quick map. But I haven't had to do this integration myself. But I do recall that feeling of dread when it happens, like turning that API on is really hard. Can you speak to that a little better? You're nodding like you know what I'm talking about. And I don't know (laughs) what I'm talking about. (laughs) I've I've only done it a couple times, but for me, anytime I have to go into the Google Cloud Services backend, I'm so overwhelmed, and I I just I want to get out as soon as I possibly can. For Felt, we have kind of taken the route of self-hosting a, a ton of like the infrastructure. So rather than going to Mapbox to get the the tiles that you know draw a mappy looking background on your map, we are self-hosting that and and. We're looking at self-hosting even more data stuff in the future. So yeah, we're we're kind of spared that integration. So my point there was the dream could possibly be to make Phoenix map components that we can just drop into our applications. Is that something that you've talked about? If I were in charge of the roadmap and didn't have to worry about keeping the company afloat, <laughs> yes, we would we would totally be doing that. And and I'd love there have been talks about doing like a map live book component. I think that'd be Ooh. really cool. We I mean we just don't have the bandwidth right now, but yeah, someday that'd be pretty sweet. Do you think you'd consider open sourcing it so people could help you? I don't know. I would have to talk have to talk to the CTO for it. Okay, you talk to him because I feel like Bilal right here. <laughs> With all that free time between sewing and developing and now podcasting. I could be contributing. (laughs) We're always trying to strive for more open source projects out there. So just going to plug that and, you know, drop in Phoenix components uh, for for maps would be sweet. But yes, to um, I've always been advocating for more live books to play around with because then we could learn a system or a technology better and. I've never really understood too much about uh, programming with maps, so that would be really fun to say. 
Also, I hope somebody's playing a drinking game right now. They're drinking every time they hear the word map. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, that's that's the beauty of of working at this company. I, I was doing a functional data transformation, a map over a oh, map, the data structure, to produce no. a map. Uh, you, you know, probably, yeah. Do you you must run into the keyword error all the time. Oh yeah. Oh so so <laughs> how do you get over that? In the back end, we don't actually call it a map. The the thing that we are producing, we chose arbitrarily from another language. We call it a carta, just so that you can, (laughs) just so that there's a little less confusion. Okay, there we go. Bilal, you and I are the only, yeah, we've been working on the same project. So do you remember what was a keyword recently and I couldn't get over it because I couldn't, I think it might have been state Uh. or status or... i know event that might yeah. have been one that i was dealing with because i feel like that keyword always messes me up but tyler i thought you were going to say you guys play a drinking game yeah i thought you were going to what... say you're just drunk all the time <laughs> and i was like that's what makes working at felt fun I was like, wow. <laughs> it's not that kind of startup <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good one. Oh my gosh Oh man, I didn't even think about the map situation, like the the, the struct map situation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a fun one. That's a fun thing to think about for sure. <laughs> okay, so I wanna I wanna reroute us a little bit because we completely just skyrocketed past your hot take. Tell us about your hot take. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is that I am not a fan of managed services in general. I miss the days when we had a VPS or a co-located physical bare metal server that, you know, you would stand up an application on and you were responsible for updates and keeping the database alive and and all that stuff. I just, I feel like what I get out of managed services is just not worth the added complexity. And could you name drop a few... I'm trying to connect these dots here. What do you mean by managed service? Like, what is an example uh, of a managed well, service? Well, certainly anything on AWS. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, you know. So the DevOps yeah. side of things. You miss yeah. like, the simpler DevOps days. Yeah. I, I miss sudoing in to, to, you know, run apt-get update or whatever as needed. And, you know, you, you can do that with, like, blue-green deploys, right? You've got two servers and, you know, one staging and one's prod, and then you switch them. I liked that setup a lot, and I miss it. Okay, that is absolutely a hot take, and I hope everyone has a nice, friendly discussion about it in the uh, Discord <laughs> I'm, that we have. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, Tyler. I used to host a 200-people server of Minecraft on my home MacBook, and it was it was like a 2010 MacBook. And That's port, awesome. Port forwarding from my MacBook and leaving it running 24 hours. Because, you know, <laughs> the people on my Minecraft server had to play Hunger Games. That's fantastic. Tyler, you're not just experiencing this for the first time. We experience this every day. Bilal comes with a nugget every single day. I'm crying. Oh, my God. Just to make you guys feel a little... That's not even like a make us feel old thing. That's like a 200 people. How old are you? <laughs> um. So honestly, I think this was third grade. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was I was building like like Japanese architecture houses in Minecraft. I really like Minecraft. It's you know very beneficial you know learning tool. 
Yeah, no, nice. I am. Um, I did the same thing in The Sims. I I liked looking at different, actually, Japanese architecture. Yeah, I've made Japanese architected style <laughs> homes in The Sims before, but that was like buying a game and logging into it. Absolutely not creating a server to host two hundred people. Yeah, I, I remember like reading like a whole bunch of guides about like port forwarding and um, DNS servers, and I was I was what like nine years old, and I. <laughs> Well, like, we uh, missed this part when we asked how you got into tech. You started at, <laughs> you started somewhere else when we asked if, you this if, question if, if we last really, time. If we really want to go farther, um, I was making custom C++ avatars, and I think I was like five or six. Okay. Oh, my gosh. But I couldn't do any of that stuff now. <laughs> maybe maybe nice. port forwarding, but like looking back on that, that is pretty cool. I'm just spiraling live here, guys. <laughs> Okay, while I compose myself, um, while you have any other, <laughs> do you want to take the wheel? You asked Tyler a question now. I'm just going to go die in the corner. <laughs> well, I guess, are there any, like, I guess, particular advantages to using Elixir when it comes to building maps? I mean, I feel like we might have touched on a few. I'm always sad because when people hear that we're using Elixir and, and Phoenix, their their first question is always like, is it live view on the front end? And I was like, nah, it's React. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it, in the same way that Elixir is fantastic for, you know, any any sort of web app backend that you would want. Like, you know, it's a lot of the stuff we do is is crud, and Elixir is really good at that. But we we kind of made the decision early on that like we didn't want to bet the whole company on live view being the right choice for a really highly interactive you know front end that's uh collaborative across you know 30 people yeah so so it's react in the front end i guess i guess actually multiplayer the idea of having a bunch of people connected to the same map and everybody editing and seeing everybody else's edits that is something that like other languages have kind of imitated the phoenix channels model but um yeah, channels is is so great. We have one channel for a map and we push messages onto it when edits happen and everybody like just gets the updates and it it works so well. <laughs> so seamlessly. This is not I promise this is not a load question. I'm prefacing with that. Do you think LiveView would do it better? Or do you think React is like specially tuned to do what you need on the front end? I don't know if LiveView would do it better. I think you could do it in LiveView. Personally, having experienced a front end written in Elm, I, I do think if we had gone Elm from the beginning, I think our rate of shipping features and, and the reliability of the app would be slightly improved. But the the one thing that React has going for it is that you can find a ton of people who have made highly interactive apps in it, you know. Yeah. It's it's very easy to hire for. And of information, definitely easy to search something. 17,000 people have had the same problem. Yeah, that's fair. And and you'll find a lot of bad advice out there on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there'll always be something in, in the search results. But there is something to be said for the bad advice, because I think we don't talk about this enough, is that my favorite way to attack any problem is just to do it in the first way I think of it. Even if it's bad, even if I know it's bad, let me just... Do it. And then like two weeks ago, I was writing a lot of Ecto queries, or maybe it was last week and my sense of time is completely warped. I think it was last week. I wrote a bunch of Ecto queries, been a while since I touched them. And I just wrote a bunch of queries, like five different queries that I was pretty sure wouldn't return anything. And it helped me get to the the final query. 
and just totally. writing it yeah. poorly a few times. The the story that I've heard is a, a person they're trying to go out to lunch with their office and everybody like nobody wants to make it a decision. And so they sit there and like, where should we go? And nobody suggests anything. And so finally the person says, let's go to McDonald's. And everybody in the whole room says, no, oh God, not McDonald's. And so suddenly they can, they can come up with something better than that. And eventually they all settle on something that they all will actually like. And so, yeah, like I, I've heard it called the McDonald's option. So if you don't know where to start, you, you start with the McDonald's option and you can at least improve it from there. Or maybe that's good enough and you ship it like that. <laughs> I've never heard of that, but I'm glad I have that term. (laughs) The McDonald's option. I use that all the time. Like, well, the McDonald's option is do it this way. (laughs) McDonald's must love that. I know, right? (laughs) They know what they are. (laughs) (laughs) There's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah. Sweet. So, you know, you and Jason were at ElixirConf. Was anyone else from Felt at ElixirConf? This past no, just me and Jason Axelson. We are currently the well, we're two thirds of the back end team. Okay, uh, so yeah, folks might know Jason Axelson from contributing to like hundreds of open source projects. I have no idea how he Elixir does it. Elixir LS being one of the biggest ones. You mean they don't know Jason Axelson from his episode on the Elixir Wizard? Oh podcast? yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think of Jason every time it says my Elixir LS is out of date. And I'm like, ah, you folks are working hard over here making me update all these. <laughs> I think he would want me to quickly point out that he is less involved with Elixir LS now than he than he has been. But he still yes. does a ton of open source on the side. Uh, he doesn't have kids. <laughs> uh, but Hawaii, though. Yeah, exactly. Now, that would be a place to map out. Mm. Just to bring it back. We have a ton of trail data from, from Hawaii, I think I think partially uh, for Jason. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Jason went out there hiking to grab the trail data. Oh, I wish. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be a cool way to, to ask somebody to be involved. Oh, yeah, for, for work today. I hiked. Yeah, right. Yeah, so what is, if at all, is Felt's involvement with the Elixir community? Do you kind of just like being involved because you two like being involved? Or does Felt have any kind of like hiring like are you hiring and you're going out there to find more people or like what's the situation there yeah we are definitely hiring please come work with me if you want to do elixir and a little bit of react not too much they promise (laughs) yeah right right (laughs) yeah there there are definitely people in elixir land with it with a javascript allergy that's okay (laughs) allergy that is the best way to put it oh my god yeah we have a couple of people with some javascript allergies (laughs) Um, I'm suffering from the JavaScript allergy right now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I I am not a JavaScript fan. TypeScript is really cool if you are interested in type systems at all. It's kind of a shame that it's built on top of JavaScript is what I tell people. Yeah, I like TypeScript. uh, In my boot camp, we learned our our final project had to be in TypeScript. And uh, definitely, uh, I don't like JavaScript now compared to TypeScript. Sure. Yeah, I, that was part of what motivated me to to take the job was that I didn't know anything about React or TypeScript. And it was like, kind of the whole world is moving that direction. So I should probably figure this out at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to use that phrase forevermore, that and the McDonald's option. There so we go. <laughs> I'm going to add that to the vocabulary there. Um, for our kind of like fun outro question before we wrap up here. Do you have like a favorite map? I've talked about my favorite map. Do you have a favorite map? Um, so 
I made a map of this trip that my wife and I did in like southeastern Alaska. It's called the Golden Circle. I almost said the Great Loop. That's the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Golden <laughs> Circle is, it goes through Juneau and all, all these very scenic places. And there are some plane flights and some beautiful drives through the mountains and stuff. Yeah, it was a heck of a vacation. And the map is really cool because, you know, I've embedded like video that I took and images and links to some of the cool attractions and stuff. That's definitely the my favorite one. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Tyler, for being here. Do you have any final plugs or asks for the audience? Any social media where people can find you or how they can support your future open source projects? <laughs> sure. So I'm Tyler A. Young on Twitter uh, because there are too many Tyler Youngs in the world. Yeah, if you want to apply, we would love to get some Elixir and React developers. It's felt.com slash careers. Awesome. Well, that's it for today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thanks again to our guest, Tyler Young, for joining us. I'm Sandy Mint, and my co-host is Bilal Hankins. Elixir Wizards is produced by Hangar Studios and is brought to you by SmartLogic. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And see you next week for more on parsing the particulars. Bye.